What's going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of Morning Commute with In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. So today, it is technically still a morning commute episode, um, which for, you know, those who it's their first time tuning in, what that really means is that, like, I expect that there's more information to come and whatever I'm talking about is not a complete uh, analysis. So therefore, if I'm, you know, incorrect or if I'm missing some points or I, you know, have some growth to do in my critique, that that's, you know more so acceptable because I'm not really coming on here with any authority and, uh, you know, pretending I know better than everyone. Uh, I just spend way too much time reading and I talk to a lot of people and I think that some of the conversations I have and some of the things that I learn are a little bit more proper served if, uh, you know, other people can borrow from them as well. Sorry, excuse that. That's my windshield wiper. And, uh, yeah, that's another part of morning commute. I'm driving. So if there's weird background noises, I apologize. But, um, yeah, so basically today I want to talk about um, resolving and studying contradictions and eliminating ideological purity. So this is kind of a big topic. So, you know, obviously I'm not going to be the main voice you want to look to on this. There's plenty of people who... Uh, throughout the years have spoken on this, plenty of, you know, uh, Marxists throughout the global south, folks like Kwame Ture, Walter Rodney, um, you know, Ho Chi Minh, Mao Zedong, and plenty of others have, you know, spoke on the necessity for understanding, not ignoring, the different contradictions that exist within our lives and understanding them to a point so as to resolve them. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means, how one goes about resolving uh, contradictions, and the fact that a contradiction resolved simply leads to yet another, and uh, that is life, that is what life is, life is contradictions, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can become so when you don't have the proper ability to resolve those contradictions, uh, or you choose not to, which is a huge issue. And then talking about eliminating ideological purity. So I think that that's something that we all, especially those of us who aren't actively organizing, need to really, you know, center in a lot of our learning, in a lot of our, you know, uh, analysis, is ideological purity does not necessarily cover or, you know, do enough to really understand and properly analyze each and every situation. I don't really have anyone in particular that I think, or any group, that I think does it more than others. I think as human beings, we are prone to uh, egos and, uh, you know, the way in which we learn and the lack of ability to often properly apply those ideas 
uh, leads to dogmatism, leads to uh, this focus on ideological purity, and uh, ultimately drives us away from revolution and still, and, and instead brings us to opportunism and revisionism. And we're going to talk about why, we're going to talk about how, and we're going to talk about some historical examples and some ways to avoid this ourselves. So again, in going forward, I'm not educated in any proper sense of the term. I'm not an authority on these subjects. So if you disagree, I would love to hear from you. Uh, You can DM me. I have social media, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can reach out by email. That's indefenseofliberation at gmail.com. But anyways, folks, uh, I hope everyone is well. Hope everyone is safe. Um, Let's talk about contradictions. And let's talk about what it is that I mean when I say contradictions. Why they're important you know, kind of pulling from the abstract and bringing it to the reality. So when we look at the movement that has been ebbing and flowing across the world, but let's focus here for those of us such as myself who live on Turtle Island, uh, let's focus here on what is called the United States, right? The movement that's taken place on uh, Turtle Island has been one that has had its extremely revolutionary moments and had its extremely reactionary moments. Now, we can't understand the one without the other. We can't truly uh, strategize and appreciate the knowledge and learning that can come without deep study, right? Without deep study of why these periods uh, switch between themselves, why uh, certain things are happening, why uh, people, you know, this is a big one, why people aren't getting down with socialism and communism, uh, and if they are, you know, in what way, in what sense, and in, in what type of socialism? Are we talking socialism and revolution in word or in deed, right? So contradictions, right? Mao talks about them. Lenin talks about them, Engels and Marx talk about them, but philosophers as far back in, uh, you know, Taoism and Buddhism and other religions have spoken about the contradictory nature between, you know, humans and humans, humans and nature, nature and itself, ourselves and our, you know, own minds. There's contradictions aplenty, right? Now, what do I mean when I say contradictions? I don't necessarily just mean things that are disagreeable. What I mean is that built into everything, there is a relationship that the contradictory foundation of that relationship leads to the further development of that thing. So let's, you know, let's break that down. What, is, what, what the fuck does that mean? Well, let's give a personal example and then we'll give a more abstract example. <clears throat> so a personal example would be my own uh, upbringing, right? And the education system that we have here on Turtle Island and Marxism. These are very contradictory things, right? 
I am the, the subject, right? These are the content. So the content is contradictory to itself, right? Because not only are the two forms or the two bases of information contradictory, but unlike Marxism, the education and ideology that I was given from you know childhood does not measure up against reality. Meaning that when I test these theories, when I test these hypotheses, when I test these ideas that they told me my whole life about, you know, let's say I work really hard, but I still can't afford, you know, a house, a college education, uh, food in my fridge, right? That's a contradiction. But the contradiction between the ideas is also important because on the subject, me, it ends up furthering my own development. And one of those, you know, contradictory things, uh, some say that one wins over the other, some say one absorbs the other, and some say one gains an advantage over the other. But it's not necessary that it has absolutely resolved and uh, eradicated that contradiction. But some believe that instead that contradiction has just fell to the background. It is no longer what we might call the primary contradiction. Now, it's been a real long time since I've read On Contradiction by Mao. So please go read that to bolster and supplement any missing information there. So in everything, there's contradictions. There's contradictions in the grocery store. There's contradictions in the government. There's contradictions within the social system between the ruling class and the working class, but there's also contradictions within each one of those groups. Within the ruling class, there is contradictions, and within the working class, there is contradictions. So what I mean by this, again, is not simply that there are groups that are in disagreement, but there are you know, groups and folks and and, uh, organizations and certain developments that cannot both exist at the same time. You cannot have a anti-violent revolution. You can't have a moral movement based on the morality of a bygone era rather than the morality of the upcoming epoch, the epoch that is being built by the people, the morality and the movement itself that is developing. Because of this, right, again, we cannot simply ignore these contradictions. We cannot simply say that in fact we will not actually allow for you know these contradictions to get in the way to distract us to create problems because at the end of the day what we desperately need is the ability to move forward what i mean is that we can by any means you know resolve these contradictions and these conflicts, but we have to do it with the intentionality of moving forward. Now, moving forward does not always look the way we want it to. There's a great uh, 
article that I've referenced before that's on Hood Communist called uh, Resolving Contradictions. It's a snippet from a Black Panther Party speech. I can't remember who gave it, and I can't remember the rest of the, the article's name, but it's by Ready for Revolution. It's on hoodcommunist.org. You should check it out. But anyways, so you have uh, a real desperate need to move forward, right? So essentially, what we're looking for is the ability to gather together the forces that exist, gather together the movements that exist, gather together the information, the organizations, and the ideas that exist, and find a way to make them work. Now again, there are some that cannot exist at the same time. So you will have the attempts that will not necessarily lead to successful allegiances or unity. But that does not necessarily mean we are not moving forward. Not everyone is going to come with us. Not everyone is going to be a part of, you know, the movement that we are trying to build today. A lot, a lot of people who say they want to be with us, a lot, a lot of people who say that they care about the movement, right? We're going to be sorely, uh, you know, hurting for people. That's all I got to say. In the beginning, because again, this is a contradiction. The contradiction is you are starting with a weaker force against a large force. But as Mao discusses in his U.S. imperialism is a paper tiger, large forces give way to small forces over time and through repetitive action, organization, and attack. Um, Mao was a guerrilla. You know, he wrote on guerrilla warfare, another great, great piece to get a little bit more of an understanding about contradictions. But if we look at the fact that right now, it's not there's nothing going on. It's not that there isn't any movements that are happening. It's not that there isn't any organizations that are fighting for the liberation of people within, you know, the U.S. empire and outside of it. But what is true is the fact that these groups that do exist, these organizations that are putting in work, and these movements that are growing are constantly under fire, constantly under attack, and constantly having to fight and, and struggle and organize to be able to just simply survive, let alone actually be able to impact the reality that they are trying to, let alone actually being able to resolve the contradictions or, you know, move forward. So I want to say that I personally have a lot to learn here, right? But let's look at, you know, the fact that organizations have been doing this for far longer than any of us have been around. Organizations have been working towards and building for a revolution here on Turtle Island and across the world for far longer than you and I have had a breath to breathe. So if that is the case, right, if that is the reality, 
then we have to learn from these movements. We have to grow and we have to be able to build and we have to be able to, uh, you know, again, move forward and develop out, develop out of these movements. So in that sense, what I mean is this. We really have a desperate need to figure out a way to come together, to figure out a way to work with one another. And if we can't, then we have to find a way to work with what we've got. Because, you know, there's a lot of shit that's going on that we got to do something about. There's a lot of shit that really nobody's doing anything about. And then there's a lot of shit that people are doing that don't get any support, that doesn't get any notice and doesn't get any assistance, you know? So let's look at that. Let's talk about that real quick because I'm actually having a hard time with my directions right now driving. So maybe uh, let me take a moment to collect myself. Uh, There was a detour on my main, you know, how I normally get to work. So I'm really fucking confused. But anyway, so... Let's talk about some of the contradictory forces that exist within uh, the movement. So on Turtle Island, right, you have a particular type of oppression which has developed for multiple different people groups from multiple different national and ethnic backgrounds who all have to find a way to liberate themselves and to eradicate their oppressors and to put themselves on an equal playing field and on an equal pedestal and and standing, you know, stage to their oppressors. Or, as, you know, we might really hope for, above their oppressors so as to maintain a force which does not allow for the former ruling classes the former exploiters and oppressors to come back to power and to, you know, build a doubly, triply, quadruply strong reactionary force so as to um, make up and to, you know, uh, make amends, essentially, with those who tried to fight for their own freedom. That is why when we look at the movements that happen all over the world, you have these, you know, moments of revolution, these moments of absolute radicalism and organizing and big, big movement building. And then you have your periods of lull, of reaction, of incarceration, of mass murder and police brutality and impoverishment and depression and crisis and Because of that, we know that there is never a time which building, organizing, and working towards revolution is not necessary. We know this to be true. Yeah, so I'm I'm currently lost driving, so bear with me in my conversation. But anyways, these forces that exist within the movement, right, aren't necessarily contradictory. Let me let me specify that. But they have contradictions, meaning that, you know. Uh, what a uh, black person in the United States uh, thinks is 
their, you know, notion of what liberation and true, you know, freedom would look like and how to get there, you know, isn't necessarily always going to look the same as, say, an Asian immigrant who came from the Philippines thinks that their, uh, you know, own uh, struggles in uh, other forms of oppression would be resolved. And we also know that within certain, within all groups, within all national and ethnic, uh, you know, communities, with all uh, different identities, it does not, again, necessarily mean that all are in agreement. Not all, uh, you know, Latino or, uh, you know, Chicano folks are in full agreement uh, with what it is that needs to be done so that they can see freedom and they can see justice and they can see liberation in the reality that they live in today. Same goes for white folks. You know, a lot of white folks thinks the way that we got to do it is we just got to go back to just being white folks. And that's obviously been true for the entire history of European settler colonialism, imperialism, capitalism. And so the fascism and the neo-Nazism and the reactionary uh, uprising that is happening here on Turtle Island, in Canada, in the uh, European states, uh, in Australia, in New Zealand, and elsewhere, it's not an accident, right? It's not, it's not as if these, these are just shitty people that are just popping up out of nowhere that are just racist. Like, there's, there's nothing that's causing that. These are just racist people. It's, it's illogical. There's a system at play here. There is a system that definitely benefits from different national and ethnic communities warring with each other. There's a definite system that benefits from religious groups warring with one another. And there is a definite, you know, system that benefits from the working class fighting among itself. So... There has been, whether, you know, consciously or unconsciously at every point is not necessarily important, because there has been an active attempt to oppress and exploit people from different uh, national and ethnic backgrounds, of different race, of different gender, of different sexual orientation uh, throughout history differently that has led to a further disunity and separation of the working class from one another you know there has been a lot of i guess we could call it conflicts and contradictions that have been used opportunistically by the state by different organs of power to manifest more conflicts and more contradictions between those of us within the working class and others within the working class. The slavery 
and mass incarceration of the descendants of Africans here on Turtle Island, in the Caribbean, in Latin America, and in Africa herself is not entirely the same in form as the enslavement and uh, trafficking of missing and murdered indigenous women, children, and two spirits. And it is also not the same in form as the domestic enslavement of women and non-men of all walks of life within the home and outside of the workplace. Or even still to this day, within the workplace, where certain laws exist in very patriarchal societies, in neo-fascist societies that still allow for males to be the dominant owner of the wages, the wealth, and the property of their significant others and their children. We've talked about that before when we talked about the origins of the his- or the origins of the family private property in the state by Engels. So check out that episode. But what I'm meaning to say is this: when each of us at our job gets paid a different wage and we're told not to tell one another about that wage. That does not mean that we're all getting fucked to the same level, to the same degree or in the same way. But it does mean that we're all getting fucked. And it means that we are meant to not speak with one another, not work alongside each other to be able to make sure that none of us have to deal with this reality. Instead, we have to deal with the fact that nine times out of ten, what's really happening is they are just trying to get us to hate one another, to war with one another. As many people have said, they got us fighting the culture war so they can distract us from fighting a class war. But that's what we're doing, folks. We're here, we're fighting, we're organizing, and we're building movements because what we need is class struggle. We need class war on the side of the working class because right now there is class war. Right now, class war is taking place. However, it's being won, it's being waged, it's being organized, and it's being, you know, benefited from the ruling class and the ruling class only at the suffering and struggling and, you know, pure just enslavement of the working and non-working people of this world. So what does that mean for us today? We want to talk about organizing. We want to talk about connecting with others. We want to talk about resolving contradictions. Well, one thing that a lot of us, especially here on Turtle Island, including myself pretty often, needs to do is we got to eradicate this ideological purism or purity that we tend to have fostered in the Western spheres of left organizing. 
I believe that there's a few pretty realistic uh, reasons as to why this has happened. Um, first and foremost, uh, in the West, the benefits of colonialism and imperialism for those who do the colonizing and the imperializing are put on display so as to culminate an environment that makes it seem as if we, in fact, are not oppressed, that we, in fact, are not exploited. But we know this isn't the truth. We know this isn't the truth because, in fact, we live each day on Turtle Island or wherever it is you're tuning into the show without proper nutritious you know, foods, without safe shelter for everybody, without proper and upper education for the majority of people who live and walk on this earth, not, you know, uh, assistance programs and uh, community building intended to assist those who cannot work, who cannot go to school with their day-to-day lives. There is absolutely no guarantee that you and I at the end of today are going to have eaten three square meals, have heating in our home, you know, have an education that we can use to further ourselves, have an income or an ability to acquire any of those things outside of having to be dependent upon the state apparatus and the capitalist and imperialist system. Therefore, when we begin to recognize this, when we begin to come to the conclusion that many people are coming to today, that in fact there is no resolving the contradictions within the system, there is no continued uh, liberation that can be had from within the current relationship and uh, uh, structure of society, and that in fact we need revolution, not uh, reform that we need a full uh, uprooting, explosion, eradication of the capitalist and imperialist system and its replacement and uh, substitution with a socialist society. But getting there takes a lot of work. But a lot of us think that what it actually takes is just reading books. A lot of us think that what it takes is just creating content. A lot of us think that what it takes is just having one or two good conversations. And a lot of us think that it's going to come from our own living room, from our own bedroom, from our own armchair. Hmm? But in fact, revolution is built in the streets. Revolution is built by and for the people. I'm not meaning to say this as some broad, you know, vague idea of, you know, uh, movement so as to seem correct, right? But if you look at the historical movements that have taken place both here on Turtle Island and across the world, then you see that trying to work within the systems, avenues, and opportunities that have been created 
and cultivated by this system, capitalism, have not, cannot, and will not provide us with what we need. Why? Because it is directly contradictory to the very foundation and fabric by which this society moves forward. The mode of production is based on exploitation. The form of development is based on oppression and suppression of the working class by the ruling class. Imperialism and empire are kept going by continuous uh, wealth appropriation by a extreme few, by less than a few thousand wealthy ruling class people. And on top of that, it is also continued through consistent militarization and consistent uh, co-option of the military's movements and people groups within the colonized and imperialized nations so as to further the colonization and imperialism without it necessarily looking or sounding like it did before. Fascism has done the same. We've talked about this. Many people feel that the United States empire is not a fascist empire. How can it be anything except for fascist? What is fascism? Fascism, if we want to avoid this ideological purity, has two very, very, very clear and consistent fundamental uh, parts. One, It is capitalist, meaning it is also imperialist, meaning it is also colonial, meaning it also is uh, um, uh, militaristic. Secondly, it is anti-labor, it is anti-worker, it is anti-individual, it is anti-organization outside of the nation, right? And it is also anti-union, anti-communist, and anti-socialist. Historically, in every scenario and situation where fascism has come to the fore, it has attacked every group that it can, every group that denounces it, and every group that looks as if it is going to try to fight for something different than a nationhood based on sameness, based on uh, purity, based on... um, racism based on patriarchy. That is fascism. That is what fascism has looked like historically. A lot of people want to say fascism is just a one-party system by which any and all aggression, attacks, or critiques of that system are put down uh, and, uh, you know, that it's it's ideologically pure, that it is, you know... uh, led by a single leader or a single party, as I already mentioned. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, if you look at the fascist movements that took place throughout the uh, colonial and imperial, uh, you know, uh, or I should say the colonized and imperialized nations, if you look at that, you can see that fascism really was able to take whatever form it needed to just get people to listen, to just get people to follow suit. And if you look at the imperial core nations, fascism took place however it needed to 
to come to power. It didn't look the same in Italy as it did in Germany. And it didn't look the same in the United States as it does in Canada. So if we are talking about fascism, we got to have a new analysis. We got to have a better analysis. And we got to have an open-ended analysis. The same way when we look at revolution, we can't have this dogmatist uh, uh, ideology that, okay, this is what Lenin said. And so if we don't do what Lenin says, then we're not revolutionaries. We're not communists. We're just revisionists. We're just opportunists. If we don't do what Mao and Gonzalo and Jose Maria Saison and, uh, you know, Huey P and George Jackson and all these others said, then we're just a bunch of fools. We're just a bunch of pretenders. We're just a bunch of, you know, uh, petty bourgeois assholes trying to play revolution. Like, we have to understand that revolution is actually building revolution. So in that way, um, we must realize that ultimately revolution is experimentation. Um, you know, I like folks like JMP, uh, uh, Joshua Mufawad Paul, um, you should check out his work. Uh, I've talked about it a while back when I was adamant about being a Maoist. <laughs> uh, but I, I do like a lot of his work. I like his analysis of Marxism as a science. Um, I don't necessarily always agree with everything he and uh, folks who follow alongside with him have to say. But I definitely agree with them more than like Gonzaloites. And uh, people super, super obsessed with, like, the Shining Path. Um, and I definitely also like them better than uh, folks who um, romanticize and, and idealize revolution in a way that a lot of, uh, uh, you know, more what we might call ultra, although I'm not necessarily looking at any particular group because I think there's ultras of, just about every tendency. Um, but, you know, ultras of every tendency do tend to stop analyzing and stop learning. Uh, and they also tend to often um, kind of spend all their time online. So, you know... That's just a little point I wanted to make about ideological purity and the need to eradicate it. But if we're looking at, you know, some of the other issues I wanted to talk about, let me break out this little piece of paper here. Um, so it's Engels who talks about this. I couldn't find the exact quote, so I'm just going to paraphrase approximately what it is that he said. Um, but theory as... Uh, theory itself is, in fact, not a finalized product. It is an idealization of a finalized product, but of a finalized product, but it is not uh, necessarily itself uh, a finalized product because when you go to take theory and apply it to the reality, you realize that, in fact, there's oftentimes a lot of workshopping that needs to be done, a lot of reanalyzing and re, uh, you know, positioning some of your ideas, your approaches, uh, and uh, 
the ability to do that shows a resourceful, a strategic, and a, you know, strong uh, movement. But the inability to tactically reassess and reanalyze with new or further information coming to the fore is the sign of a movement or a person or an organization that is in fact incapable of not only recognizing reality, but also resolving the contradictions that exist within that reality. Again, our objective is not to just simply know this shit. Our objective is to learn it and to move forward to try to resolve it. So, you know, this little bit that I wrote down here, I said theory is a product of hypothesis and deep study. But until it is applied and tested, it is nothing but a fantastic idea about how things could go. But to get there, we have much groundwork to lay and learn from. If we understand, again, that revolution is an experiment, meaning that when we take these ideas to people, there's no guarantee that they're going to like them even if they're beneficial to them because mass propaganda and miseducation have been around for far longer than you and I have known a goddamn thing about socialism. So if we, you know, try certain strategies that worked for the communists in China in 1949 or worked for the communists in Russia in 1917 or worked for the, you know, revolutionaries in the Congo or in um, Guinea-Bissau or in Ghana or here on Turtle Island, and they don't take off, we should not, A, double our efforts and just keep doing the same thing and expect that if we just keep doing the same thing, all of a sudden things are just going to change. B, just drop everything and give up because we're like, oh, well, we tried the thing that's supposed to work and it didn't work, so... I guess that organizing and stuff like that, it just doesn't work um, and get, you know, really discouraged. We really don't want that. We don't need any more discouragement. We need encouragement. So what we want to do is we want to have a, a good group. When you're organizing, you want to get a good group together of people who realize this is a long run. This is a marathon. We're we're going to be going for a long we're going to be going for the rest of our lives. The Cuban revolution is still growing. The Bolivarian revolution is still growing. The Sandinista revolution is still growing. The Chinese revolution is still growing. We haven't even started. How do we think that just by selling a few newspapers or having some good ideas, starting an organization or being in a reading group is just going to get us to revolution? We have so much to learn, so much to do, and not a whole lot of time to do it. So here's what I really want to talk about. If you want to get organized, there's something that I've kind of realized through discussions with a few of my very good comrades. A lot of the organizations that are beginning here in the United States are compromisable from the beginning. 
And not only because they're from the United States, which is a settler colonial state, although you must remember that that does create a certain chauvinism and ignorance that oftentimes leads to an inability to recognize the contradictions existent between, for example, black, brown, and indigenous people's struggle and a white person's struggle here on Turtle Island. But on top of that, if we do not recognize that the struggle is an internationalist one that we have to be able to organize with people all over the world and we have to learn from people all over the world, then we often are, again, going to put ourselves in a corner and pigeonhole ourselves in a way that doesn't allow us to create unity and create this broad mass struggle that is necessary. Do we want to just keep being a part of groups that have a bunch of people who look and sound like me? Do we want to keep having a bunch of groups that look and sound like the same fucking people that time and time again, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you found out they're all a bunch of racists or they're all a bunch of cops or they're all a bunch of misogynists or they're all a bunch of, you know, uh, faux revolutionaries who just were in it for the shits and giggles and don't actually want to put the guns in their hands and do something about it and don't want to actually lead the revolution. If you want to stop seeing that happen to our people, the people here on this planet, then we got to be the ones to do something about it. We got to be the ones to build. We got to be the ones to connect with the internationalist groups. We got to be the ones to hit up the Black Alliance for Peace, the Claudia Jones School for Political Education. You know, we got to be the ones to reach out to the friends of the rural workers and, uh, you know, the friends of the ATC over there in Nicaragua. We got to be the ones to reach out to Veseremos Cuba. We got to be the ones to reach out to People's Dispatch and Kawasachi News. And we got to be the ones to give them our time, our effort, our energy, our labor. Solidarity isn't about words. Solidarity isn't about grand gestures on social media. Solidarity is about building. Solidarity is about organization. Solidarity is about militancy. And solidarity is about success. Meaning that we will not succeed if we do not work together. We will not succeed if we do not have solidarity. I think there's plenty of examples. One I'd like you to check out who I have really, really been, you know, learning as much as I can about and enjoying his music is Paul Robeson. You also ought to look up the, you know, really do a deep study of the Black Panther Party. I think a lot of people think they know who the Black Panther Party is and think they know what the Black Panther Party did and was about. And I guarantee you there's plenty of undeclassified uh, CIA documents and information that we don't know about shit that they were doing that you really would only hear about if you were in the community or new folks that were doing it. You know what I'm saying? The mass media isn't going to give us all the tools, all of the knowledge, all of the ideas and the history that we need. That much should be very obvious when you open a history book in this country. So and we got to be the ones to discover that history and we got to be the ones to make history today. So if we're looking at building a revolution, if we're looking at building an organization that is capable of eradicating the ruling class system and structures as they exist today, then we actually have to look outside of, uh, you know, white or Eurocentric or, uh, you know, um, 
first world uh, imperial core movements and organizations as well. You know, we got to look to Vietnam. We got to look to China. We got to look to North Korea. We got to look towards Nicaragua and Cuba and Venezuela and Bolivia. We got to look towards people like Jose Carlos Mariategui. And we got to look towards folks like Evo Morales. And we got to look towards folks like Mao Zedong. And we got to look towards folks like Ho Chi Minh and Walter Rodney and Patrice Lumumba and Kwame Nkrumah. We got to look towards folks like, you know, the ones that are actively building organizations here. Not necessarily because we're like, oh, these are fucking diehard Marxists or communists or whatever, but because in the middle of one of the most repressive and reactionary moments of U.S. history, there are people out there that are fighting, are, you know, resisting up there in Wet'suwet'en territory. Shout out to the Wet'suwet'en people who are seeing their lands continuously encroached on by the RCMP, by the fascist Canadian dictatorship that is the ruling class of Cook Cook Canada, spelt with three Ks. We know that right now the Trudeau administration has decided that one way in which they are going to punish and go after those who are affiliated with the protests or with the resistance movement is by freezing their bank accounts and assets, effectively going full fascio mode. And, uh, you know, I'm just really excited for when the United States does the same fucking thing. And also what's really cool is this, real quick, right outside of wet sweat and territory where there has been resistance camps for the longest time. Isn't it convenient that there's this report that a bunch of coastal gas link, the CGL pipeline, the company that is trying to build the pipeline through wet sweat and territory, had slash marks and axe marks and everything in their tires and in the uh, equipment. Isn't it just fucking convenient that this is going to be used as a front to attack the wet sweat and people further than they already have been? We have to see this for what it clearly is, a new form of oppression and exploitation against indigenous peoples by the Canadian government and the fascist dictatorship of the ruling capitalist and imperialist class across North America, because Canada is getting active assistance financially, militarily, and uh, in many other ways by the United States government, by the United Nations, by the European Union, and by NATO. So to think that all of the geopolitical situations that are going on in Russia, China, and elsewhere do not connect with also the trucker convoy that is being led by a bunch of white fucking racist neo-Nazis anti-vaxxers and, you know, essentially people whose sentiments of struggle, fear, and desperation are being co-opted and capitalized on by the ruling class for their own benefit, that has to be clearly seen as well. And the last thing I want to say, because I only have a few minutes here, we have to do so with an energy and a fervor that has never been seen before. We got to be out in these streets as often as we can be. And we got to be talking to people, not just, you know, for shits and giggles, but for real life shit. Like, do you have a support system? How can I help you? Do you know people who are in prison? Do they need legal assistance? Do you have food in your house? Do you have elderly people who need transportation to doctor's offices? Is your immigration status in question and do you need transportation to court dates? You know, do you need translation services? Do you need heating? Do you need shelter? Do you need help getting a vaccine or masks or gloves or medicines or whatever? 
That's organizing, not I think Marxism-Leninism is actually the truest scientific form of Marxism because the revisionism of Marxism-Leninism-Maoism is evident through their praxis. I don't give a fuck. Not for nothing. I really don't care. And I've written articles like that. I don't give a shit. Get out of your fucking books. Get out of the goddamn university. Get off of YouTube. Stop listening to this podcast and go fucking organize, man. There's people in your area that need help. And you know what? Not for nothing. We don't have any more excuses to not help them. I don't have any more excuses. You don't have any more excuses. If you can't get up and be on your feet and go help people, there's many ways that you can help. You can spread information on social media. You can talk to your family and your friends about things. You can sign petitions and you know, write letters and call your legislators and your representatives, which we know is not effective in and of itself, but doing nothing is ineffective in and of itself. So how about that? And in closing, my friends, I'd like to give you some peace and some encouragement as I can, because we all need it. We all need a little sanity these days. We all need a little revolutionary hope. We need land. We need power. And we need organization. You know who's got that? Movimiento al Socialismo. The Sandinista Revolution. The Bolivarian Revolution. The Chinese Communist Party. The Vietnamese people. And once before, hundreds of thousands and millions of African Asian, Latino, Chicano, indigenous, and plenty of other people across the world have had it and are going to have it again. You want to know why? You step on my toe once, I ask you to say you're sorry and to step off. You say no, I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to say, listen, bud, I just need you to step off my foot. You look me in the eyes and you tell me no, you spit in my face, I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to uppercut you and I'm going to throw you off me. And guess what? The working people and the exploited masses of the world, the majority, the working and oppressed masses, they're having their feet stepped on and have been for 500 plus years in many different ways, on many different days. And guess what? Oppressed people do not stay oppressed for long. Solidarity with all the people's movements across the world. Shout out the Sandinista Revolution. Shout out to the Bolivarian Revolution. Shout out the Cuban Revolution, the Chinese Revolution, and the people of these nations who are building the revolution. Shout out to everyone on Turtle Island who's out here organizing. Hit me up. If you're not organizing, get connected with people. Get connected with organizations. Join the PSL. Join the Black Alliance for Peace Solidarity Network. Join with any organization that you think that is actually doing work. Because a nice constitution, a nice, you know, bylaw, a nice, you know, program is all well and good. But if these motherfuckers aren't out here doing anything, I don't give a fuck what you say you believe in. You don't believe in shit enough to do anything. That, that includes those of us, such as myself, who time and time again have focused more heavily on ideas and theory and books than we ever have on going outside and fucking talking to people. Let's get organized, folks, and let's get building this revolution. Long live the people. Long live the revolution. We'll catch you next time. Peace.